welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, that's a pretty powerful summation of today's topic, which, as you know, is humility. And in our scripture reading, Paul tells us we are God's chosen and holy people. And he tells us that humility is part of the new self. Humility is part of the new way we are to live, the new character his spirit wants to cultivate in us. Humility is part of the new clothes, as he puts it, we are to wear as God's people. Humility before God, certainly. Humility with ourselves. But in this passage and in this context from Colossians chapter 3, Paul is mainly talking about humility in our relationships with one another. So we will mostly stay in that lane today. Humility in our relationships. When we think about historical figures that at least most of us, I think, would consider to be exceptional or great, whether they be great leaders, thinkers, philosophers, theologians, or just great people, one of their most compelling character qualities, it seems to me, is humility. Now, this is often hidden. This is often unseen in these people, but it is definitely felt. Now, obviously, there have been and still are plenty of successful leaders, thinkers, athletes, theologians, and people who are not at all humble. Some are even icons of arrogance. But the ones that really seem to endure and capture our attention and hold it have this quality of humility. They are great, we might say, at humility. Though obviously they don't talk about this and they don't even realize this. But others can sense it and feel it. They have a certain way about them that is more impressive than the brilliance of their mind or the creativity of their invention or the skill of their athleticism or the success of their achievement. Nelson Mandela is an example. Mother Teresa is another. Former NBA player Tim Duncan, who played for the San Antonio Spurs, will be in the Hall of Fame uh, this year. He also is one. NFL wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald is someone who has this quality of humility. And at least to me, what really distinguishes people like this is that while they have this quality of humility, they are surrounded by those who share the same profession or skill or calling, but are loud and brash and cocky and arrogant. A few years ago, I was in a class at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, and one of the professors was a guy named Richard Mao. And I knew of him before taking the class. Richard Mao has been a well-known figure in religious academic circles for nearly four decades. I'd read some of his stuff. I knew he was brilliant, has a PhD from the University of Chicago, is a philosopher, a theologian, an author, and a man who has been on the front lines of social issues and so- social justice since the late 1960s. But a couple years ago, when I sat in his class down in Pasadena, it took about 15 minutes for his well-earned pedigree and accolades and brilliance to vanish into thin air and for me to realize Richard Mao is a down-to-earth, humble Christ follower. He's a man who knows who he is. He knows where he is weak and tempted 
He knows where he is strong. He understands his unique intellectual gifts. He doesn't downplay them. He understands the impact he has made on the Christian church over his four decades. But he's not focused on these things. He's not enamored with these things. And I noticed throughout the week of class how well he listened to other people. Even beyond the act and the art of listening, he was oriented around others. He was really tuned into them. He said all kinds of important things during the week of class, and I scribbled them in my notes. He's a brilliant guy, but his humility held my attention for a week. His humility seasoned his brilliance. His humility shaped my soul. And humility has that kind of transformative power. We listen to a man like Nelson Mandela. And we try and process his perspective in light of the struggle, in light of the oppression he experienced, in light of spending 27 years in prison. And it's just absolutely captivating to hear a guy who's been through all that talk like that. Almost like he's from another planet. It's almost like he's living by a different set of values than the rest of us. A bishop in the 7th century, whose name now is referred to as Isaac the Syrian. This guy talked a lot about humility. He talked about people who are genuinely humble, having a certain scent, was his way of putting it. A scent that others can smell and sense and see. He even thought animals can sense this in people. So when an animal is around somebody who has the scent of humility, they kind of relax in the presence of the person. The word humility comes from the Latin word hummus, which is great with pita chips, as you may well know. But it means earthy. It's the soil, the ground, when leaves and all the other stuff sort of decompose in it, and you have just this soil, this earth, this rich dirt. This is why we often say the humble person is so down to earth. Their feet are on the ground. And this earthiness radiates off of the humble and lingers in the air even after they're gone. Think about times when you've been with someone who is genuinely humble. They make you feel safe. I mean, you don't feel evaluated. You don't feel judged. I would say relaxed is one of the words that comes up when you're with someone who's genuinely humble. There's a freedom we experience in the presence of the authentically humble. Freedom to be who we are without pretending and without posing. So it's like their humility summons our realness. Imagine being the kind of person who had the scent of humility on them, where others sensed it when they were with us. So they felt safe with us. They felt free with you. They felt like they could be who they are with you. No posing, no pretending. This quality of humility comes from another world. My brother is this kind of person. On the scoreboard of the world, if you think about what makes a person a success in this world, when, if you knew my brother, you'd say, well, he's a success, and he is. But my brother is remarkably humble. 
My brother is hummus. He's down to earth. And his humility creates safety. I've watched this when people come around him. His humility creates freedom for other people. Anybody that might approach my brother aware of his success in the world would be stunned by how much he does this to people and brings them in. Imagine being a church where enough people had cultivated this kind of humility to shape the DNA of the whole faith community. And those who were not familiar with God or those who had no clue about Jesus or those who had wounds from spiritual abuse in their past or whatever the case might be, sensed the collective humility because it radiated off of us so much and it radiated so much, people actually wondered, what is that in the air? That, that's, that's different. What's that scent? People who didn't know God or had a clue about Jesus then felt safe among us. They felt welcomed. They felt the freedom to be who they were. But they were inspired beyond who they were because our humility was a finger pointing to a kind of love and goodness they'd never seen or sensed or experienced before. That would seem to me to be a pretty cool church to be part of. The clothing of humility is part of the new wardrobe Christ followers are to put on as the Holy Spirit cultivates this in us. And I would suggest to you for a variety of reasons in today's world, of all the pieces of clothing we are to put on, humility might be the most important because I don't think Christians or the church are generally thought of as people of humility. And sure, there are exceptions. But in general, as a group, I'm not sure humble is what comes to mind when the word Christian or church is mentioned. And yet in our relationship with God and our relationship with ourself and in our relationship with others, humility is essential. The great preacher and revivalist Jonathan Edwards said, we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterizes true Christianity. People as esteemed as John Calvin, many others as well, spoke of humility as the mother of all virtue, the beginning of the virtuous life. Or to go back to our Colossians passage, they would even talk about if you do not have humility, all the rest of it is impossible. In 1 Peter 5, 5, Paul says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. What does that look like? What does it look like to clothe yourselves with humility toward one another? Maybe it looks something like this. We know who we are. Our flaws. Our weaknesses. We know that we're not as impressive as others might think we are. God's mercies are new every morning and we are really glad. Because every morning we need them. We have a healthy understanding of our strengths. We know what we bring to the table. We know what our gifts are. We're learning to be at peace with ourselves. We are increasingly other-centered. We're increasingly tuned into others. We're learning to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, and we aren't afraid to apologize. We're not afraid to ask for forgiveness. We understand the burden of sin and relational mess-ups, so we do our best to forgive others instead of holding them hostage 
to the mistakes they have made. The clothing of humility is helping us to slow down our criticisms and our chronic complaining and recognize things are usually more complicated and multifaceted than our two eyes can see. As the Spirit cultivates humility in us, we're becoming more down-to-earth, hummus, less judgmental, slow to critique, slow to evaluate, slow to label. We know who we are. We know our need for God and His grace. People feel safe around us, even when their views differ from ours, because we're humble about it. We're intellectually humble, which means we're curious when someone disagrees. We're reflective, and we hold our views on various issues in an open hand, fully recognizing we may not have it all figured out. So we live in learning mode. Now, contrast this vision of humility toward others with Jesus' indictment in Matthew chapter 23. He's teaching his disciples and the crowds who followed him, and he's absolutely laying into the religious experts and religious teachers and religious leaders. He's calling them out for their pride and for their self-absorption. And he says, these are his words, everything they do is for people to see. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect. And then Jesus says this in verses 11 and 12, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, Jesus himself was the perfect example of this kind of humility. He is the vision. What's humility look like? It looks like him. He shows us what it looks like. Philippians chapter 2. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Don't miss what Paul is saying. He was equal to God, but he did not consider his position or his power or his status something to be used to his own advantage. He surrendered his rights, we might say, as the second person of the Trinity. He gave them up. He put on human flesh. He came to earth, hummus, Humility, to become a servant. He was obedient all the way to his death, even, Paul says, a death on a cross, a death that is reserved for a common criminal. He was humble enough to receive a death reserved for the worst of the worst, even though he was God over all. Picture of humility. Now, sometimes humility is resisted because it seems like weakness. And I imagine that there are some folks online or in this room who fight with humility, who resist it, who want to yeah but it whenever the subject comes up. I would suggest to you, however, that Mandela and Mother Teresa and Richard Mao demonstrate incredible strength through their humility 
It requires bigger muscles to let go of really isn't, what really isn't ours anyway than it does to hold on to what we think is ours. See, Jesus was on par with God. He had the right, I think we can say, to assert himself as God. He had the right to overwhelm any who stood in his way, but he surrendered those rights and humbled himself. And here's the kicker. He wants us to become the kind of people who wear the clothing of humility in our relationships with one another. Now, over on the other end of the spectrum, this does not mean we walk around with timidity or fear, looking at our shoes. It doesn't mean we're quiet. It doesn't mean we hide and hope we're never seen. We have to distinguish between humility and shame because they are not the same thing and they are not even close to being the same thing. Shame or insecurity sometimes masquerade as humility, but people who feel the burden of shame or the constant, relentless oppression of insecurity can be some of the most prideful and self-absorbed people on the planet. I know this from many years of experience with both shame and insecurity. Shame and insecurity breed self-obsession, not self-forgetfulness. Shame and insecurity keep us focused on self, how we are performing, how we're being perceived, how others are thinking of us. Shame and insecurity cause us to hide and hold back and withdraw so we live guardedly instead of vulnerably. Ronald Roheiser puts it this way, humility should never be confused with a wounded self-image, with an excessive reticence, with timidity and fear, or with an overly sensitive self-awareness. Too common is the notion that a humble person is one who is self-effacing to a fault, who deflects praise even when it is deserved, who is too shy to trust opening himself or herself in intimacy, or who is so fearful or self-conscious and worried about being shamed so as to never step forward and offer his or her, or her gifts to the community. Very important distinction. So humility is not self-condemnation or shame or insecurity or self-deprecation. Humility at its core is self-forgetfulness. C.S. Lewis, in his great book, Mere Christianity, speaking of the humble person, puts it this way. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. See, we live in a world of uniforms. An airline where flight attendants and pilots and others wear red or blue shirts and tan shorts or tan pants, and they tell corny jokes. Southwest. A delivery service where they wear brown shirts and shorts, UPS. A place where people walk around wearing scrubs, a hospital. You get the point. Paul is telling us in Colossians 12 that humility is part of the uniform of God's people. Self-forgetfulness. In the language of Philippians, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now we roll into that other part of the passage. Who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own Advantage. Can you fathom 
a relationship where two or three or four or 400 people were seeking to live this out under the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. It's like it would be from another planet. It's like it would be a group of people living by a different set of values. So how do we grow in this? I mean, talk about it fine, but how do we actually grow in this? Because we can't just go do this because we won't just go do this because this isn't who many of us are. So how do we grow in this so that humility takes root and starts to become who we are? I think it begins with prayer. This goes back to what Jordan led us in at the beginning. This kind of breath prayer. God, you are humble. Help me to be humble. Help me to live in this place of humility. it, It begins in this kind of prayerful attentiveness, this sort of, God, help me to grow in this, but it also requires practice. Let me say it this way. If you walked into this room today, or you came from your car into here, and your mind is thinking things like, I wonder what people are going to think of me. I wonder if I'm dressed okay. I wonder who's looking at me. I wonder if I'll measure up to the others who are here. How can I hide and keep out of sight? Maybe I can go to the bathroom even though I don't need to go to the bathroom. And then once the music starts and everybody's doing their thing, I can kind of sneak in the back and find my way and no one will know I'm here. If any of that is in your mind, you're thinking about you. And that isn't going to change unless we practice something different. And I would suggest to you that when we practice these things, when we practice putting on this clothing, that the best way to do that, in fact, the preferred way to do that, is to start in the concentric circles of our lives. Who's closest to us? It's easy for me to be humble to you because that will make you think highly of me. It's not so easy for me to be humble when Julie and I are at home and the kitchen is a mess and there's no microphone and there's no spotlight and no one's going to go, wow, look at Mike, he did the dishes. It's a lot harder in that context. But we got to start in those concentric circles, the ones closest to us. And maybe it's as simple as this, so I'll leave it at this. We're praying this, we're asking God, and maybe it's just as simple as this. We're living with this question in our head. How can I orient around the other instead of around me? How can I be focused on you instead of focused on me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your absolute stunning example of humility, of giving yourself away. Through your Holy Spirit and the power you have, cultivate in us that kind of other-centeredness, that kind of self-forgetfulness, so that our lives might glorify the Father as yours did. And we pray this in your name. Amen.